you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Most Bible translations add a series of titles and to the chapters and major sections of the text. These titles and headings are, of course, not part of the original text. And there's nothing wrong or misleading about the titles or headings for 1 Corinthians chapter 12, most of which include the phrase spiritual gifts. But as we saw last week, a more accurate title that reflects the overall theme of this chapter, plus chapters 13 and 14, is spiritual things. In other words, there's an overarching problem or misunderstanding in the Corinthian church about spiritual things or their spiritual lives that especially shows up in their confusion about what spiritual gifts are and what they're for. Paul knows about this issue because he'd been asked questions about it in a previous letter, which also must have included descriptions of their worship services where the excesses occurred. We can tell what the questions were about by how Paul discusses it all. And last week we spent the whole time emphasizing the way Paul began addressing these issues in the first three verses of chapter 12. He knew that unless these people came to grips with the lordship of Christ, they would never be able to progress in their understanding of anything truly spiritual including spiritual gifts. They were Christians who had come to faith in Christ from a paganism that was now inadvertently being transplanted or carried over into their Christian worship services. The problems Paul sees in the Corinthians' letter to him seem to constantly reflect an emphasis upon their individual religious experiences with hardly any concerns for the well-being of others in the body. The pagan idea was to have some personal mystical experience from or with a deity, which usually would happen through ecstatic, frenzied, hypnotic, Chants and ceremonies. Found that phrase, thought it was rather large, but it covers the basis. These experiences were also driven by divination, dreams, revelations, and visions, all together. So it's not a leap, it's not a large leap as we look at this to make what you feel your primary concern when worshiping. And just a quick question. You can tell already where this is going. If that's your primary concern, which side 
of this argue are you on a more paganistic view of religious worship by being concerned about how you feel or are you on the other side that Paul's going to try to address as being a correction so what Paul does to begin this chapter is make sure that they hear him say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all things, which means everything. Everything we do is measured by how we fit ourselves into living more and more for him and unto him. And so we are not the Lord, but many times we sure act like it. What he gives to his people in his church will first glorify him and also build up the other people united to him in his church. So a Christian should not primarily be seeking or desiring to feel or to have an unbelievably ecstatic spiritual experience of overwhelming emotional proportions, maybe even beyond reason and self-control. This is a big spectrum. If that's what they're after, then they won't realize that this self-centered goal undermines and distorts the purposes of God to glorify Christ and to build up the other people in the church. A couple of questions for each of us. Do we just say Jesus is Lord? Or do we live like he is the Lord of all things? Are there areas of our lives that we know must still be submitted to the Lord? Have we submitted our goals and desires to him and his purposes for his glory? So after making sure the readers of this letter know that the Lordship of Christ has to be the foundation upon which spiritual things can be addressed, he begins to explain spiritual gifts. So if you're able, would you please stand as I read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe may be seated. 
So Paul immediately begins to drive home the difference between the Christian understanding of being joined together in the body of Christ and the pagan understanding of spirituality as an individual's religious experience. And I hope we all see that. We live in a day, you know, it's back to the individual unashamedly. No shame at all. And so this is a really, really important distinction. And what Paul's going to talk about is based on this contrast. And this individual's religious experiences includes an individual's abilities to perform supernaturally, which is what pagan religions were really after. Predicting the future, speaking to the dead, pronouncing blessings or curses or removing them. This is sure fodder for a lot of major films these days. They were behaving in the worship services, in other words, in ways that reflected more of an individualistic and self-centered paganism than seeing their spiritual gifts as benefiting the others in the church. The diversity of the distribution of the gifts and the Holy Spirit and the unity of the body of Christ is how Paul goes after this. In verses 4 through 7, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, do you see the Trinity anywhere in here? Yes. Why does God do it this way? Why is he organized how he's giving gifts this way? Well, we see in verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And the key here is the next phrase, for the common good. If we start off there, and you're thinking and all of our thinking, then we'll be in a good place. There is diversity in the body of Christ, the church. The members united in Christ and his church then are given different spiritual gifts. There is unity in the body of Christ, the church. There is one body, one Christ, one spirit, and one purpose for the spiritual gifts. And I hope by the end here today, you'll see how all of what he's talking about is based on that foundation. One commentator writes, you cannot talk about the gifts of the Spirit without talking about the unity of Christ's body. And you cannot talk about spiritual gifts without understanding spiritual things. And you cannot understand spiritual things unless you first understand that Jesus is Lord and that the church is his body. These things are all interconnected. Well, I hope we've driven that in enough that we won't forget it as we go through this. Because this is just the first 
chapter of three chapters, and it gets a lot more detailed in chapter 14. So we must remember that Paul is addressing the local church in Corinth. His instructions must be understood in that context and not in some broader sense, which then conveys individual Christians living without being connected to a local church. That's not even in the thinking of any writing in the New Testament. Christians not connected to a local body of Christ or not accountable to a local body of Christ cannot benefit from the God-honoring and sanctifying process that can only happen within a local church. And that should already be clear, but if not, it's going to be, especially in this section of 1 Corinthians. This includes thinking that a parachurch ministry can substitute as a church. It cannot. Let's look at each verse, defining key words and explaining as we go, or trying to. In verse 4, we read there's a variety of varieties of gifts and that word varieties comes from a root that means to divide in other words the gifts of the spirit and this is an easy way to remember it are divvied up among the members of the church and I laughed when I saw this because I'm a little slow and I never realized that divvied is just a cool way to say divided up and and meted out Gifts are known as charismata, the root being charis or grace. And this refers to those extraordinary, divine, supernatural endowments which the Holy Spirit confers upon individuals in the church specifically for the purpose of building up or equipping the body of Christ and edifying its members. One of our best friends in Colorado named one of their daughters Karis for this reason. Grace gifts. While these gifts may be related to the natural abilities or talents people already have, in the sense that spiritual gifts may be a supernatural enhancement of our natural abilities, you can't rule that out, but what... Paul emphasizes here is the supernatural or divine endowment of the Holy Spirit. He says over and over in one way or another, but the same Spirit. These gifts are supernatural in that they are the result of the Holy Spirit's work. From what we've already discussed about how the Corinthian believers were calling attention to themselves... Because of the gifts they possessed, Paul must correct this misunderstanding since it had led to more divisiveness and even what we would call religious self-gratification, which when you think about it is a sick way to think we're worshiping if we're there just to gratify our own desires and feel a certain way. Paul must correct this 
In other words, the Corinthians abused this whole idea to the point of making the gifts of the Spirit a source of sinful pride and division. How sad. But how much of that is happening in our day as well? In verse 5, we read, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. This word service comes from the same word our word deacon comes from. A deacon is one who serves and recognized by the church. The point is that while there are different ways to serve one another, it all should point to the one Lord that we all serve. So the mistake of the Corinthians was to make too much of what they thought were the important gifts. And that becomes more and more obvious as we go on in this letter. Because they then thought that the person who had one of those gifts was more important. And we must be very careful not to lessen or depreciate what may appear as the ordinary, mundane, or unglamorous in the eyes of the world by belittling someone else's service, by boasting about our own, or making claims about being led by the Holy Spirit to do things the Word of God does not condone, especially if it concerns our worship services, etc., etc. In 2 Corinthians, which is Paul's follow-up letter to this one, he still had to deal with this issue because the Corinthians were so susceptible to their proclivity to being ooed and awed by individuals who had spectacular spiritual powers. And of course, we're, we don't have that issue at all. No one we know bows down in celebrity worship in one way or another. It's a constant temptation. And in verse 6, we see the thought continue, the point being that God is active. He's the active party throughout, working through the gifts he gives to build up the body that is the body of Christ, edifying its members. In other words, it's God who empowers believers to serve and love one another. And there are varieties of activities, but notice, the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, if you're looking for, again, the reason for God's gifts and activity, it's given in verse 7, the key verse here. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that should be a bar or a way to measure or think about this whole subject. Is given the manifestation of the Spirit means that God gives these gifts in a way that is manifested or made evident to whom? To other members of the body. You can tell how self-focused you can get by thinking, well, I want to know. Well, of course you do. We all do. 
But you won't know unless you're loving and serving others. And then all of a sudden, you may see or someone may say, wow, I've really been blessed by blank, 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 blank. And you go, wow, I've never thought of it. Most, a lot of times we're completely surprised. The goal of the exercise of these gifts is the well-being of the church. The goal of all these gifts is the well-being of the church. The goal of all these gifts is the well-being of the church. Just that one idea will help us walk through all the lists that we're going to see. In verses 8 through 10, then Paul gives a representative list of the spiritual gifts. Why do I say that? Because this is not an exhaustive list. There are several more lists that include other gifts that are not here. So remember that. And those are in chapter 12 of this book, right here later in this same chapter. And then Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Now we're going to do our best here, but since Paul's instruction continues for two more chapters, we may elaborate and clarify as he does so in the text. Did you catch that? That's kind of an out for the preacher. As he clarifies it, uh, we'll all try to go along with that. But as we go, we'll try to, we'll try to help as, as we proceed. There are only a couple of options about how to interpret the list of gifts, by the way. One option is that all of these spiritual gifts are still normative in the church today. Now, if you're honest and you look and you compare what goes on today with what we actually see in the New Testament, this leaves this option seriously flawed because the more you look, the more you see, well, this isn't anything like what we saw in Acts or wherever. Where are the dramatic miracles and instantaneous healings today? Oh, and with medical verification, instead of being swiped off the stage the minute somebody falls over, hidden amongst the thousands of people there, and then you never hear about it again. That the, what we see happen when Jesus healed or when one of the apostles healed? No. In the New Testament, these miracles were quite public, and often they occurred in the presence of unbelievers. And if all the gifts are still operative, where and how are these gifts manifested today? The answer is they're simply not seen in the church today, and either the quantity or the general quality that is seen in the New Testament church. Another option is that the miraculous sign gifts ceased after the age of the apostles. Now we're getting close because a main point of the miraculous gifts was distinctly to authenticate Christ's apostles. B.B. Warfield wrote, these gifts were part of the credentials of the apostles as authoritative agents of God in founding the apostolic church. 
And that's a good way to think about it. Credentialed. A look through the New Testament shows that apostles were usually the ones performing the miracles or they were present when such miracles were done. Also notice that Paul did not ordain any new apostles. Only who? Pastors, elders, and deacons. The apostleship was a one-time appointment to found the church. Once done, no more needed. So when you hear that apostle so-and-so is showing up at the civic center or some hotel ballroom, what do you know? He's not. Don't bother. There are no more new apostles. God gave that gift for the founding of his church immediately after Christ resurrected. Pastors, elders, and deacons became the normative offices of the church. And then people say, well, why aren't they meant, why aren't, why are they mentioned in the New Testament? Because that was the age of the apostles. This is what these people, these letters were going to, were experiencing at that time. There are still problems with how to apply these verses to the church today, though, aren't there? So the best way to proceed is to keep in mind the twofold continuing purpose of spiritual gifts, which I hope we don't even have to think about, to glorify Christ and to build up other people in love and equipping them in the body. In other words, what role did these gifts play in the New Testament church? And we must keep asking this as we go on through them. And this will keep us on course as we look for applications, especially about today. So the list of spiritual gifts is in, uh, this list of spiritual gifts is in verses 8 through 10. Now, going through this in any set of commentaries is a wild ride of many diversions. Um, several commentators' ideas are represented here. Um, especially Kim Riddlebarger and Tom Schreiner. You may have remember Schreiner's name because he's going to be one of the people that will help us in Sunday school, as Blake explained earlier today. Um, that, that's just because some of their stuff is actually clear. So this is a combination of a lot. And... I'll tell you a little bit of a story in a little bit that'll help you understand that I was first confronted with all these issues, especially one particular gift that you'll see and you probably already know um, that was literally going haywire in the late 60s and 70s. So I was in college and been shaking my head for all these years over all the misdirection. Okay. In verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit utterance of the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So the first two here, the utterance of wisdom and knowledge, utterance, by the way, is also translated as word or message, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. These are 
two very closely related gifts and are often seen together in Scripture. Uh, Many times they're together. The words even. Knowledge and wisdom. So they overlap in meaning. Wisdom usually refers to a spirit-given insight into the affairs of life, revealing God's perspective on things. Knowledge could refer to spirit-given insight into God's plan of redemption, especially in His Son, and be connected to teaching and preaching and spiritual counsel. Some think these two refer to the gift of teaching. Why? Well, in this, in this list, did you notice teaching is not listed? And what do you need to teach? You need knowledge and wisdom. So that has some legitimacy. But teaching is emphasized in other lists. In verse 9, we start off, this is the third, to another faith by the same Spirit. This gift can't be the same as saving faith. Can you just answer that one off the top of your head? Because everybody who's saved has saving faith. And these gifts are not given to everybody. They're divvied up. Okay? So this probably refers to an extraordinary faith necessary for accomplishing some extraordinary task which God has given. Also in verse 9 is the fourth listed here, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. This could be different kinds of healing for different kinds of illnesses, but this is hard to tell. Um, Sickness, disease, and infirmities like being blind, lame, or deaf would be included. Now, we know I'm emphasizing that word, that God can and does still heal when he pleases to. But we also know that God allows many to be sick and suffer. What a great dilemma. Jesus did not heal everybody in Israel. Neither did his apostles. Neither did the people that had this gift in the first century. But the apostles or someone who has this gift in a church, it's up to God who is and who isn't still, even though they have a gift. Can you think of anyone? How about the apostle Paul who had what? A thorn in the flesh, and he appealed to the Lord three times, and God never granted it to be healed. So we know there's a lot of charlatans in our day who claim to be able to do it to anyone and everyone who approaches. We also know there are verifiable accounts of the fact that they are charlatans because most of the time, In those situations, nobody is, really. Either it lasts two minutes or they cart people off and literally shut them up. 
especially the ones that are refused. This is so sad because so many people are in that situation. Who? Johnny Erickson Tata got into this mode and was encouraged after she was paralyzed at 17 from diving accident. That here's healers and they have this gift and she tells this story great and she was mired and in despair obviously and went after it for quite a while until she realized that God did not want her to be healed and today she says that the greatest thing in her life which is still tough is her wheelchair because it made her know God in ways that she could never know him before that is just I mean that's one of the ultimate examples but it's a good one for us to think about so God does heal, and he may still, but whether there's this gift anymore, seriously doubt. Starting in verse 10, there's a bunch listed. To another, the working of miracles. These are probably miracles which establish the gospel as seen in the New Testament. And if you look, you'll see that's what's going on. And if so, would be connected to the mission field and the gospel's advance. Jesus and his apostles performed miracles in public and in the presence of unbelievers to confirm the truth of the gospel. Instead of just somebody saying, Jesus appointed me and you need to listen to what I say and he's giving me the words to say and it's authoritative, the apostles would do what? Demonstrate their authority and credentials by God by doing something that is not according to nature or healing or whatever gifts that God gave these men. So confirming the truth of the gospel. Could God still do that today in some place around the world that's never even heard the name of Jesus for thousands of years? We don't know. It could be possible. Next is prophecy. This is a tough one. There are a lot of questions about this one, so we must be extra careful about how we see it. It used to build up, it's used to build up encourage and console the gathered believers. Paul writes that in this book, in chapter 14, verse 3. Used to build up, encourage, and console the gathered believers and evangelistically to disclose the secrets of, in the hearts of unbelievers so they'll worship God. Also in chapter 14, we'll get there. Generally in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses it to refer to speech that reports something that God spontaneously brings to mind. The, the language is very specific here because you can tell I'm trying to you know, go there. But then it's spoken in human words. So it's also seen as being very similar to the gifts of preaching or teaching. And many think that's all it means in our day. So much so that many people think 
the prophetic gift today is preaching or teaching, which is proclaiming forth something God said is true. Obviously, the completion of the Bible has something to do with how, these, how we look at some of these gifts in our day as well. The third gift in verse 10, and to another, able to distinguish between spirits. This has to do with really the, the previous gift of prophecy more than anything, because it's coupled with it and specifically deals with whether someone is truly a prophet or not. Can you imagine? Jesus is gone. The enemy is upset. The church is a baby. See where this goes? Many rise. <clears throat> I'm a prophet of God. He told me this. He told me that. Et cetera, et cetera. So this gift um, is rather interesting. First John 4, 1, John addresses this in some way, uses the same words by warning us of the need to see the dangers of false prophets, of which there were so many as the New Testament church was being established. The main question is, when someone presents what they claim is from God, does it align with Scripture? That's got to always be the way we think about it. Does it align with Scripture? If it doesn't align with Scripture, you're being conned, and it's false. Fourth one in verse 10, number 8 in the list, and to another various kind of tongues. The word used here is the normal Greek word for language. And it means, and means the supernatural gift of speaking in an unlearned human language. The person that's using this gift does not know that language, but he's using a language because the Spirit lets him use that language to communicate something to somebody that's there, usually, hopefully. On the day of Pentecost which is described in Acts 2, the phenomenon of tongues was clearly foreign languages by which God-fearing Jews from all over the Mediterranean world were able to hear and understand the proclamation of the wonders of God in their native tongues. Can you imagine that? And the list in Acts, I didn't count, I should have. There's about eight or nine different countries listed that People spoke different languages. Then all of a sudden they're hearing the truth about God in their own language. Yes, that is rather remarkable. This is not referring to some kind of ecstatic speech or prayer language that everyone is supposed to be able to have. Can you tell me why? We've already talked about it. None of these spiritual gifts are presented as being given to everyone. And many churches today are putting pressure on everyone in their church. You need to speak in tongues. If they're doing that, there's something really off. The mis this misconception has led so many people to go down a path that leads to counterfeits and misses the whole point 
that we've been trying to emphasize, that the spiritual gifts are for the purpose of ministering and building up others, not for the spiritual edification of the person doing it by himself, which is what is presented mostly in our day. Yes, there's a connection between an emotional release and actually whatever happens. And it's been proven. There's been studies that have read down the last 30 or 40 years that show that people can get to this point, led there emotionally, ecstatically, and they feel like they're having communion with God. Most of it is nonsense. The feeling may be there, but the other part, most probably not. Also note that these last two gifts in this list are just that, last on the list. And as Paul goes into great detail in chapter 14 about this, we will learn that this gift is the easiest to counterfeit and the Corinthians are rebuked for putting so much emphasis on this one gift. Nothing's changed in that regard. A very good friend of myself and Marty was led into the pursuit of speaking in tongues while in college. And after a whole lot of consternation, shared later that she had realized the error of this path when she was strongly encouraged and I'm not saying that strongly enough, to attend a class at her church to learn how to speak in tongues. Which she then realized was not the biblical gift at all, but a rehearsed, babbling counterfeit designed to appeal to her emotions. Praise God, she saw the light before she got into it so deep it was hard to get out. And we'll learn much more about this as we get to 1 Corinthians. The last one here, the ninth, is interpretation of tongues. Now, this, this is so logical. Think about this. While some may have heard God's truth because they heard it in their own native tongue, others in the Corinthian assembly needed to hear it how? By interpretation. Because they didn't know this other language that this person, remember, this is for the whole body. And so God designed it so that if this was going on in the church, there had to be somebody interpreting or it wasn't building anybody else up. Notice that Paul's point is there no, is no benefit to others if no one understands it. And that's what he goes after in chapter 14. Paul summarizes his point about the unity and diversity of the gifts here in verse 11. Beautiful verse. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Whether a person possesses a particular gift is not for us to decide. The Holy Spirit sovereignly provides for his people. And some of these gifts may not be given like we desire or even not given anymore in our age. 
there are other factors involved that going through the rest of this letter will let us explore. So I encourage you to hang in there. Try to get this straight first. What it is, what they're for. And it'll help you think through. Your gift, and if you know the Lord, you have at least one, was given to you by God. You may not have figured out what it is yet. You may already be blessing people and not even know it. But Paul makes this clear. It's not to be used to go whoopee. Just for your information, all the way through school, I sat in the back. I I still do. I had no idea this would ever happen. And I didn't know that until in college someone made me teach in front of a whole bunch of people gathered for a conference. And I've told some of you have heard this. I was standing behind a pulpit like this. And literally, my legs, I can do this. Don't worry, my hip is okay. I can, and they were going like this the whole time. And I got through and I went, oh, man. And over the next couple of days, some people said, I really learned something through that. And I thought, oh, no. I don't want to go through that again. Okay, that that was a wake-up call. I had no idea. A lot of times God works with us in ways that we can't predict. And you just think about some people in here who you do know what their gifts are. From serving and encouraging to helping, all those are gifts. There's organizational gifts. We'll get through them all. God knows what he is doing. He has equipped us that way. And as we seek to worship him, we don't need to focus on, what's my gift? What's my gift? Just serve and love. Already they're becoming really evident. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for equipping us by your spirit to glorify you and to build up and equip one another. And we do pray for direction and leading to know how. And we do pray that you would use us and we would be willing to serve you as our Lord, that we would be submitting to you in such a way that we could see how you use your body. We already appreciate that so much here You have blessed us so richly. You're raising up people. You're using people. You're changing our lives. And in the midst of that, there's pain and suffering and heartache. And yet you are glorified. Only you can do this. Praise be to your name. Amen. Please stand for our benediction. The more we grow in him, the more this word grace hits home. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with y'all. You're dismissed.